D&D Outdoors is brought to you by the Headline Outdoors. He- head on over to headlineoutdoors.com to watch season one, season two today, and also download Headline Outdoors streaming app on Roku or Fire TV. D&D Outdoors is also brought to you by the Southwestern Outdoorsman. Head on over to www.southwesternoutdoorsman.com and purchase your D&D Outdoors official t-shirt or decal today. back everyone to D outdoors today on the show kind of switched it up a little bit we have a very special guest we have brian sparks of lucky seven cents and nelson creek outdoors he's going to be talking all about scents mock scrapes and a lot a lot more it's definitely a very interesting sit down with him and a great conversation um also on the show today we will just kind of recap our weekend and have some fun. So how are you doing today, Dustin? Doing well, man. How about you? Oh, doing good. Can't complain. It has been a rainy weekend here in Arizona, so it was actually nice and cool, and it was not too bad. Yeah, looking at all the weather here, it was it was nice out, and then they got to talking about the bar- barometers and this and that, and it was a good weekend. and. We actually did. We saw a lot of deer, a lot of movement. Uh, had some turkeys come in. If somebody follows me on Facebook, uh, posted yeah. a couple of pictures. Got some. Looks like some decent sized turkeys. You, you guys gonna try to chase them? Every time turkey season comes in, they disappear. Oh, that's always lovely. <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. I didn't get to do too much this weekend. Um, went out. And side my guns in because out here with the weather cooling off, um, predator season is starting to come up. So hopefully get out there, get me some coyotes, get me some foxes. And you know what? I would really like bobcat this year. So that'd be kind of fun. So we'll see. So I got ready for that. Um, and then, you know, other than that, enjoyed our beautiful. Oh, I rescued a baby bird off our roof. That was kind of cool. Off the roof. Yeah, it's been out there for like three days, squawking away, and the mom never came. So, it took you three days. Well, no, I was just gonna let it wait for the mom to come, but the mom never came. So I had to climb my happy butt up the roof and <laughs> rescue this little bird off of it, and then became a whole thing. I had to take it to the bird rescue, and so I guess that was my good deed of the week. Yeah, sounds hey. like it. Yeah. So other than that, that was a very uneventful weekend. Um, But I do want to remind everybody, if you are planning on hunting in Arizona for the springtime, that's javelina, that's bison and turkey. The draw deadline is two weeks out from today. So you have to have your drawn by midnight on October fifth or one week out wow that's next week so it's one week out so if you haven't put in you want to hunt arizona in the spring you need to put in now that's just my psa to everybody all right um other than that we are gonna hop on real quick to listen to our guest brian and you know listen to him have um his talk about some great scrapes some the inside of scents and the scent industry And before all that, we're going to have a quick word from the anchor.fm. 
and we will be right back with Brian. The Outdoors. We would like to welcome a very special guest. Uh, we got Brian Sparks on of Nelson Creek Outdoors. So first and foremost, Brian, how are you doing today? Doing really well. Um, actually, I am, just before this, I was putting together a deer stand, and I'll, we'll leave the company brand name unmentioned because I'm not real happy with them, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, doing that here today. Our deer season actually opened last weekend. I was uh, able to get out with the crossbow for pretty much the entire day last Saturday. Passed up a nice six-point buck. I'm not ready to cash in a tag yet on a smaller buck. Um, and uh, passed on a doe because a uh, nice big doe, but she had a spotted fawn with her, so you got to let her go by. But saw a lot of deer, had a lot of fun, enjoyed the outdoors. Well, I am jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous. You and Dustin always get to go hunting, and I'm stuck out here in the west where we have to draw for everything. Yeah, we get tags. This year I have six tags came along with my permits, two bucks, uh, well, one for gun, one for bow, and then uh, four total does. And then I, I bought a new property this spring, and I haven't hunted it yet. Um, but it's in a different zone, so I bought an extra doe tag from up there because I got a about a hundred and thirty year old doe <laughs> running around here. It's gray from from muzzle to tail, and uh, I have plans on uh, making some venison brats. That sounds tasty. That sounds really tasty. Um, yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah, as I said, like out here in the west, we never everything's draw. You and Dustin always are eating good. It sounds like, and I'm over here. Try not to eat tag soup when I can go hunting. Dustin, what state are you in? I'm up in Virginia. Okay. All right. And I don't eat tag soup because I don't have tags. I'm a landowner, so we don't have to buy them. Uh, we, get, uh, we get landowner tags, which are different than private land tags. There's more of them available. Um, but uh, otherwise, they're pretty much the same. So, yeah, you own um, Nelson Creek Outdoors, so, you know, you definitely have a wide range of products. So, can you give us a little backstory of your company and, you know, what made you found it and your, some of your products? Because I know Dustin and I have some questions on some of your products which seem really interesting. Sure. And actually, it, it was kind of an interesting story. Um, my daughter, when she was, oh, this is, you know, going back uh, 15 years ago or so, she was in school and and they had a thing, uh, a project on small business. And uh, I was a business owner before at the time. I owned a, an electronic contract manufacturing company that I had started from scratch and then sold. And uh, so when this came up, I, we kind of were doing, she was learning also about deer hunting. And we were playing around with deer minerals. And I said, well, if we're going to do a project for school, why don't we go ahead and just start a company? So we actually have a property up in... Uh, Clark County, it's uh, uh, Nelson Creek runs through the middle of it. So Nelson Creek Outdoors was born, and uh, we started with our first project of uh, making a, a deer mineral product. Perfect. Yeah, What go, so what goes in your deer mineral? Um, right now, uh, the same formula is there, but I, I, I really don't sell a lot anymore, and I, I really am not going to be able to keep the formulation the same. It was called uh, Lucky 7 Trace Mineral Attractant. It wasn't uh, geared toward herd health so much. There were trace minerals in there. Calcium was in there, too. But it was uh, 
more meant to attract deer to the stand. And uh, one of the uh, good secret sauces for doing that was actually brewer's yeast at one time. And uh, we had a, a good portion of brewer's yeast in it to uh, get the scent in the air. And, and the, the deer really do enjoy it. It puts a little protein in there, too. Unfortunately, uh, last I checked, brewer's yeast is like $150 for a 50-pound bag. So oh, Lord. it's kind wow. of made that product. Uh, I, when I'm done with what I have left, uh, that will probably be the end of that product. Gotcha. So when it comes to like a successful placement of minerals and maybe, you know, doing mock scrapes, what are some keys that you would say for our listeners to use uh, with minerals and mock scrapes and all that to really make them successful in the uh, field? One of my favorite things for minerals is I'm sure you heard of stumping, you know, uh, take some minerals uh, or something like a, a deer cane, uh, which is basically washing soda, uh, mix it with some water and then pour it on an old rotten stump. And the, it'll actually suck in the mineral content to hold it in the stump and the deer will actually eat the stump. One of my earliest mineral sites on my, on my Nelson Creek property uh, started out as a stump site. Of course, they completely ate the stump out after a year or two and, and now it's just on the ground. But uh, I really like stumping with some either the store-bought liquid parts or make your own as liquid. You can take most of the minerals, add them to water, and then just pour them over a stump. I find higher ground better than that. A lot of peaty, swampy areas. Um, the minerals get on the ground, the deer won't eat them. But if you find a stump in that area, they'll eat them there. And and I my properties are contain a lot of marsh, so I, I do like marsh properties to hunt. I'm a, I'm a swamp buck kind of guy. Gotcha. That's perfect. And then, you know, you, you touched on earlier uh, when we were talking, you know, you have tips for like mock scrapes and all of that. What and like maybe scent placement um, because you guys offer you guys do offer a wide variety of different scents and attractives. So what where's a good successful way to place your scent and, you know, create those mock scrapes and really act as natural, like mimic a natural deer as much as possible? Well, I do mostly synthetic scents. We do have a real urine product that we bottle during the year. Um, but with the bands and stuff, that, that's getting to be a smaller and smaller market. I think Wisconsin's probably going to ban it in the next couple of years. That's the, the word on the street. So when that happens, we'll probably stop the real urine product, although we have made a duplicate in synthetic that most people won't be able to tell apart, and, and the deer certainly can't. Um, but one of the products we do do in the synthetics is a mock scrape spray. They're uh, maxed out and maxed out rut mock scrape sprays. And for making mock scrapes, the, the best thing I can say is, is know where your, where your deer are bedding, both the bucks and the does, because they generally don't uh, bed together. The does are usually a little bit uh, more out in less cover, a little closer to the food source. The bucks like to get a little farther out back and where it's uh, uh, wild and woolly, and in my case, wet, wild and woolly because of the marsh areas. You know, if there's uh, my bucks, in, in fact, on my new property, there's uh, tag alders that grow on some of the high ground where the creek runs through that uh, a lot of the areas underwater on it, and you find one little dry spot, and there'll be a buck bed on top of that. But if you can find the trails that the bucks use, and the trails that the does use, eventually they're going to come together before they meet at that food source, you know, 90% of the time. There'll be those staging areas. If you can find those areas where those trails meet, there's good cover and higher ground, and you put a mock scrape there, generally you're going to get very good results from those kind of locations. Perfect. 
Yeah, so that'll help bring in the bigger bucks and like kind of the more mature bucks, you would say. Uh, with mock scrapes, there isn't really much that uh, identifies. You know, they can they can tell if it's a, a subordinate buck or a dominant buck. But depending on the time you're like, I do mock scrapes starting in about eh, sometimes March, April time. As soon as the snow is gone, they do use them all year round, not just during the rut. Um, but I'm, I'm at those times, I'm trying to attract everybody. I want to see the does. I want to see the bucks. I want to see the older bucks. I want to see the younger bucks. Um, a lot of times you see either older or younger bucks in the spring because they do form their bachelor groups. And a lot of times it's older bucks in one group younger bucks than another so they don't overlap as much but i want to see those bucks i want to see those does i want to see them as they're heading out to the food sources and i want to be able to catalog them earlier in the year this time of year it's starting to change because we just kind of wisconsin here went through our dispersal time the their testosterone levels start to finally rise now uh the velvet gets shed off their antlers um they start getting a little bit their, their social order pecking order is already kind of sorted uh, there'll be a little bit of a jostle around here at the end. But what happens then is they disperse and the, and the bucks find their territories. One of the reasons I care so much where the does are is because the dominant bucks are going to go where the does are. So if I had an early mock scrape that had a lot of good doe activity, it's a pretty good bet I'm going to find some dominant buck activity uh, this time of year. Now with your mock scrapes, you are you freshening them up all year long or are you just certain parts of the year a lot of it depends on what the deer are doing um in some places i've i found where the mock scrapes are and i, I you know where they, they want to scrape naturally i make some mock scrapes there uh, i'll go out and i'll fresh them up in the spring check the cameras get those all ready for the season check the solar panels and i'll freshen those mock scrapes and and importantly we have a preorbital gel product the preorbital gel on the licking branch over top of the scrape is very important so you want to make sure there's that is there because that's what's going to attract them more than anything. And I'll freshen them up at that time. From there on, if I get immediate activity and the deer are visiting, they will keep it freshened for you. So you can leave it alone and, and not have to worry. Another scrape, sometimes they don't start as hot and heavy. You know, they, they, they'll visit a little bit and then they'll stop. Or or you, as it's been this year for us and a lot of other people, you go out, you'll make your mock scrapes, and two days later, it's a downpour and the place is underwater. Uh, then you got to get out there when it dries up and, and put some more juice in there, see if you can get them to, to come on back after, you know, after refreshing it. Sometimes you might find a spot that they just don't like where you're putting your mock scrapes. They'll visit it very rarely, just once in a while, um, and then you can change it, and you have to refresh that when I make a new one. But the most successful ones I've had, uh, I have a couple of them where I probably refresh them two, three times a year, you know, two times during the regular part of the season and then once during the rut. And after that, they pretty much take care of themselves. Now, you said you had a synthetic one. How, how, how do you go about creating a synthetic deer urine? That's a very long, involved process. And, um, and I'm the first one to admit the... Uh, the synthetic market uh, has a very bad reputation in uh, having, testing a lot of synthetic scents. There's good reason for it because you some of the stuff you're buying, it, it kind of falls in two categories. Either they make it themselves and it's, and it's completely worthless. There's not much in the bottle uh, that resembles urine. Or two, it's one of the major bulk suppliers. There's a couple of major bulk suppliers that supply 
you know, five gallon drums, 55 gallons, whatever size your company is buying it. And then you private label it and make it your own scent. Almost all the small guys out there, I don't care what their claims are. There's some people, especially this year, making some wild claims about developing this. They're buying from one of the big manufacturers. They're putting their own label on it. And, and if the scent didn't work when you bought it on one person's label, yeah, you may have bought a different product from a different company, but the stuff in the bottle is exactly the same from the same bulk supplier. There's no, of course, it didn't work the second or third time you tried it just with a different name on it. That's very interesting. I never would have actually guessed that. Um, so what is, I guess, what what is like a big bulk, like a bulk supplier? Is that kind of like for the big retail chains and the bigger outdoor names like in the world that create these products to just um, sell them out? Um, if you like, if you went on and uh, Google it, I, I don't like to, to beat on anybody. I'm not saying by any necessarily any per, any one of those bulk cents is good or bad. Most most of them, I have to say, aren't, aren't oh, no, the I'm greatest. Not, I'm not asking. But, I'm uh, like, yeah, suppliers. I can understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm just kind of putting it in my words there a little bit too because I'm not trying to bash anybody. But if you Google um, uh, relabel deer scent program, you're going to find those companies that'll do it. And, okay. and you'll find out that that's almost in fact i don't know of any of the small companies that aren't doing that when it comes to synthetic deer urine products so what i do is a little bit different now i have a couple of facebook pages and a couple of groups the business page is of course facebook.com slash nelson creek all door or doors all jammed together and this year I, I and i've done in the past years um i start make formulating new scents for the next year there when you go through these the urine and the and put it through analysis and the and the glandular secretions, it is a just a a huge number of different chemical elements in there. It's just a hodgepodge of this and that that you have to identify. And you know, running through spectrum analysis, you'll get different peaks on the graph, and you'll 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 find out what the molecular weights are of certain things, and then you go back and identify them, and and you got this big laundry list of stuff that's in these sense. 99% of it isn't that useful to you. There's very key things that you have to put in a scent. And scents come down into two things, and it, and it follows how deer, deer identify things. First, they identify things, identify things by just smell. If it smells like a raspberry, they think it's a raspberry, just like you. It, it smells like raspberry. It might as well be a raspberry. They don't care if it's got the chemical makeup of the raspberry smell. They just care it smells like a raspberry and that's going to identify. So if it smells like deer urine, they're going to have some recognition of it as deer urine. They're not going to get all analytic. People sometimes think deer have chemistry sets when they're out in the woods. That's only true in, in certain applications. Um, so the first part is smell. And then there's taste, pH, things like that. Because like preorbital gel or urine, even deer taste each other's urine. It's gross. Yeah, but they do it. Um so if it tastes like a solvent or something like that, even if it smells right, a lot of times that isn't good either. The next way they detect things, there's there's things like trace uh, amine-associated receptors that detect certain chemicals. Those are the ones that where it has to be specific. Um, pheromones fall into those categories too. The, the receptors for pheromones are more, instead of just smells like, it's more like a, a, a key fitting in a lock. You have to have a very close or exact key to open that lock and create the reaction. Pheromones are all like that. So you have to 
you have to find out exactly what that pheromone is and you have to duplicate it. And because it's a, a lot of them are very volatile compounds, which makes sense because they got to get in the air, they got to make smells, they got to get to the animal's nose and all that. Um, <laughs> I remember when some um, synthetic uh, deer urine exploded on my hunting backpack one time. That was not fun. It's, it stinks like heck, but on those pheromone portions and, and similar type things, and some of them have to be exact chemicals, and there's the problem. Most synthetic deer scents are made like perfumes to smell to the hunter like it is urine. That's what they do because their target is the hunter. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the hunter to buy this stuff. So it has a perfume smell kind of related like that i do it on a different approach you'll see right now on our on our facebook page that i've been sending out scents to pro staff and stuff with really weird names to them and the weird names are things that i remember in my head that are associated to the chemicals that i'm testing in them and taking things out of that chemical soup that i have reason to believe are are chemicals that the deer identify to and i'm testing them both in pieces and in appropriate combinations to improve upon the next generation of synthetic scents. Well, that's awesome. That's really cool. So, yeah, there's, it sounds like a very, as you said, very complicated kind of between engineering and chemical breakdown process, essentially. It, it gets really hard because there, there's like a thing called isomers. Isomers are basically molecules that are very similar. They have the same molecular weight. So when you, when you put uh, uh, analyze a, a chemical and you, you basically get back that molecular weight is what you get back from the analysis. Which isomer is it or which exact chemical is it? You don't know. They're, some of them are so similar that they may just have a reversed pair of bonds or, or, or something very similar. The molecule's got the same number of everything. Just how it's connected together is, is a little different. But just by that little difference, those chemicals can be extremely different. They have different smells to them or different the animals have different reactions to them. So you have to figure out out of which of those possible chemicals it is that have the same weight, which ones are actually the ones that are important, pull those out. And sometimes you're working backwards from degraded particles of those can sometimes help you because as they degrade, the pieces fall off. And if you identify a certain piece, you know it was part of the whole in the beginning and it helps you identify the whole. It's, it gets to be a very complex product. And in the end, you have no idea what's going on at deer side. You know, I, I'm not going to be able to go in and, and figure out how a, a deer's uh, nasal organ processes those chemicals. I'm not going to be able to see how its receptors process those. I'm not going to see how its brain processes those. I can't do that in a, in a lab. I, once I get those chemicals and chemical combinations, I have to get them out in the field. I mean, I use a little bit of brain power to, to figure out which ones are most likely to be relevant, but th there's no substitution for getting them out in the field and getting them tested and seeing what real live deer do when, they're, when they react to them. Okay, perfect. So your products are all, are always going to be tested in also the natural environment to see how um, the deer react. Which They're tested in the natural environment and sometimes also to captive deer uh, okay, and captive good. hogs. Uh, like oh, here, okay. I don't have hogs. I developed a hog scent a couple years ago, hog urine. Okay. Uh, our, our um, uh, hog and heat uh, hot pork scent. And uh, I tested it all here first on domestic pigs, which 
wild pigs aren't that technically very different from a from a domestic pig anyway. So that was the first line of testing was in those. And uh, that was actually fun. Uh, the pheromone that I put in that scent, um, I got lots of pictures where we make little what we call piggy stacks because they get kind of excited and hump each other <laughs> when they oh, really smell. So <laughs> if you've been on our Facebook page, I post them every once in a while where you'll see, you know, sometimes three, four or five pigs in a row all uh, doing like, uh, it looks like they're making a choo-choo train. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm actually on the website looking at different things. Uh, so, like, if you put out a dominant buck attractant, it, it doesn't mess with the the other bucks in your area. It doesn't run them off or piss them. I mean, I'm assuming you're trying to get them to piss, get pissed off to make them come back, and that's when you get a shot at them. But it doesn't kind of just run it, run them away or anything. It doesn't scare them off. What the one? There's a couple of them that different ones that do different things. There's buck and rut max, which is basically uh, buck urine and uh, tarsal gland and a few other secret sauces in their glands and stuff. But it, bucks don't identify so much early on that they're gonna you know scare each other early in the year. When it starts getting to rut, uh, some of the subordinate bucks can be scared, and and oddly enough, does can can leave the scene of, of estrus sense. They don't like estrus sense real early because they figure there's another doe. They believe another doe's an estrus. They're not thinking it's out of place or anything, but because they think there's an early doe and estrus out there, they get the heck out of there because they don't want to get pestered by young bucks that are going to be coming around looking for that. Okay. It's really, really, yeah, they're out of there. I do make one scent. Uh, I, I make two that are similar. I make, Lucky Seven, the juice, and then Lucky Seven ASS Advanced Synthetic Scent. Both are rut scents. They are dough at peak estrus urine. Vaginal discharge of a dough. ASS is uh, the vaginal discharge of a dough that has just become ready to breed. The juice is the vaginal discharge of a dough that's already been breeding with other bucks. That particular scent when a uh, younger buck comes around it and smells that she's already been breeding, sometimes they will head for uh, safer grounds. They, they will disappear. It is really meant to get, make an aggressive heads up, nose in the air response from dominant bucks. So if you're looking, uh, you know, if, if, God bless you. If you want a 110 inch eight pointer, I mean, they're delicious. Why not? But if you want one of those, the, the juice isn't your scent. ASS, which won't scare them, uh, is the scent. Uh, but if you're hunting at uh, the biggest buck in the area, the juice is the scent you want during the rut. Okay. And I just have a question on that. I mean, for myself hunting out west, uh, we obviously don't have eastern whitetails. Is all deer attracting? Could that work for like the mule deer species and our coos deer out here? Coos deer are technically a whitetail. Yes. Um and they have a lot of the same scents, so it would it would work there. Um, some of these scents will uh, will work somewhat on mule deer, but because uh, they're going to get some reaction, as you know, you know, mule deer and whitetails will actually interbreed, but they do have different chemical signals and chemical signatures. So none of my scents are, are your best choice for mule deer at this time. I'm not currently making any mule deer scents because uh. I. 
I don't hunt mule deer because I'm in Wisconsin. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, that's funny because I actually did get on one of my game cameras out here a uh, crossbreed between a mule deer and a coos deer. Yeah, they they will interbreed at times. Didn't we so talk they about are attracted to each other? And then there's... Yeah, we did. We talked about. It. I got it. All. I had it on my camera last year before my archery deer hunt out here. Okay, I remember that now. And it's like black-tailed deer in there too. They they have uh, tarsal scent that's different from a white tail, and then they actually have the metatarsal scent, which is an alarm pheromone um, that the white-tailed deer don't even have. Interesting. Now, looking at your page, I see you have some fishing scents. I do. I do do fishing scents. I'm a big fisherman, a big bass fisherman, or at least normal years I am. I've been so busy this year, I haven't gotten out much. But uh, I do do some fishing scents. I like to do regular oil-based fishing scents. I have some water-based uh, fishing scents, you know, uh, water-soluble fishing scents. Um, they, they aren't as popular as our deer scents. We're really known for our deer scents, but uh, I can do fishing scents as well and have. I don't know what the future of them is right now. I, I, I sell more of them in the spring than I do right now, but I'm kind of at the point where I'm deciding what my, you know, what my focus points are going to be, and it's leaning more toward deer. Perfect. Well, perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, well, for, so um, if I was just one of our, our listeners, how, how can we get in contact with you? Um, you know, your website, you know, go ahead and drop your website, your Instagram, your Facebook, and all your different sites. Um, I know you're part, you uh, run the Bowhunter Nation Facebook group. And what other ways can um, our great listeners um, find you and purchase some products, hopefully? Well, like on Facebook, we have Nelson Creek Outdoors is the main one. And we also have Lucky 7 Cents. The brand name is Lucky 7 Cents. Company is Nelson Creek Outdoors. I do have both. And I do have them both as web pages as well, nelsoncreekoutdoors.com which has our background information, uh, hunter success photos, fisherman success photos, other information. We have a blog on there where I talk about different scent topics. And then I have uh, store.nelsoncreekoutdoors.com, which is our main store. And then there's lucky seven, the number seven, sense.com, which is another and. Perfect, perfect. Well, I am trying to secure doors. A lot of people think I'm an outfitter or something like that. That's why I'm slowly transitioning more over to the Lucky 7 name. Okay. Well, perfect. Well, we want to thank you very much, Brian, uh, for your time with us today. Um, I hope, you know, this. you went over some great inside information. I appreciate being on it. Oops, sorry about that. On the phone here, sometimes I get a little delay. I love to do podcasts. I don't get to do nearly enough of them. And I like to support people doing the podcasts because you guys really get some valuable information and entertainment out to uh, some of us. Uh, one of my. Uh, uh, White tail rendezvous for, uh, for a long time, but of course that podcast is, is no longer uh, being made. So I've uh, been listening to a lot of other ones now. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, yeah. We definitely would love to have you on again um, throughout, you know, the year, especially, once, um, you know, at least my understanding of the Midwest and the East Coast um, is a lot of preseason work is the key to your guys' success out there. Yeah, I'd love to come back on. And you guys, too, um, we try to support the podcasts. Uh, if you're on our Facebook pages, uh, Bo, uh, we, we do have uh, Bow Hunter Nation. And then we also have D 
Deer Sense and Mock Scrapes 101, and then the Nelson Creek ones. Any of those pages, you guys want to post your episodes and stuff like that, come by and post them on our sites. We're, we're happy to support the podcasters and even other small companies. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Brian. You all enjoyed Brian and actually learned something about scents, mock scrapes, and everything in between. I definitely know I did. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely was interesting. Definitely a great conversation. Very smart guy, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. He, he, there was a whole lot of them words that got slung out there, and it's like I have no idea what they mean. Yeah, well, that's why he's the expert, and we just we have him on to talk about this stuff instead of having us try to explain it. But yeah, yeah. So uh, we're to close. We are just gonna have Dustin. You know, he's gonna share some stories over the weekend here and talk about the hunt that happened this weekend. Yeah, like we touched about, you know, at the beginning of the show, it was Youth Weekend for here in Virginia. Uh, it gives the, the youth 16 and under a little bit of a chance to hit the woods before, you know, archery season kicks off the next weekend. So, like I said, we were out there. We seen some deer moving, had some turkeys moving, had a, a couple deer come in, and, and Adam went to take his shot and being nervous. You know, your blood's pumping, your adrenaline's dumped. He pulled it a little bit further back than he wanted to. It was, a, it was still a good shot. He clipped the back of the lungs but he hit some of the guts uh found a chunk of guts on the ground where he shot at and but sitting in the stand i i heard the deer crash you know it didn't go that far it was a quick you know death really and i was happy with it but he is not happy at all with it he he did not feel that he, he performed well, I guess, to give the animal the respect it deserved. And he, he actually got to crying, uh, bawling. He was apologizing. It's like you have nothing to apologize about. Everybody has done it. If you haven't made a bad shot on an animal, please write the show because I'd want to talk to you. <laughs> but, yeah. uh yeah, he – did not want to take any pictures with it. He did not want it on film. So we have to figure out how to go around that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky situation. I mean, as you said, I'm sure we have all been there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's definitely part of the part of hunting that every hunter wants to avoid. But no matter what, it's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's. Yeah. He was, like I said, he was crying, bawling, and never going to hunt again. I'm sorry. And it's like, man, it, it it's happened to everybody. It, it's, I, I know I've made a few of them. Yes. Yeah, we all have. I mean, definitely, as we say, like with this podcast, we try to keep everything as connected as we can. And, you know, especially being a parent in this situation definitely makes a unique challenge. So how's Adam doing? Uh, he's all right today. I hadn't really talked to him about it. Gotcha. So guess we'll see later on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely all, it's definitely, as we said, part of 
what we do, but it's never a fun part of what we do. No. Um, but like I said, though, he made the shot. I heard the animal run and crashed on the other side of us. I heard it crash, and I was confident in that shot. But Yeah, I mean, the animal, at the end of the day, it didn't didn't self it didn't suffer no so, it, I was, mean, it was all said and done we had hands on it within 10 minutes of the the shot yeah so i mean i mean it might not be the best shot and i definitely as a kid's probably really just tough to understand that at the end of the day but it's definitely something that just part of what i guess it sucks to learn at a young age but yeah it also is, a good, I guess, a good learning experience. It's, I, I tried to explain that to him. It, you know, use it as a learning experience. Uh, you need to control your breathing more. And, and, and it's it's going to happen again. It's it's not, no way around it, really. It's Unfortunately, it's, just, yeah, it's part of what we do. Yeah. Unfortunately. But, you know, I hope that he does better. And you know what? Next time he, he'll be ready for that next year when it comes across. I hope so. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you guys very much for listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed this different type of episode with uh, Brian Sparks. And we definitely will be starting to get try working on getting more people on the show just to expand everything and bring different topics to you guys. Um, as always, give us a li- give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at DND Outdoors. And be sure that to have a great rest of your day and don't have too much fun if you're heading to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>